Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm here today visiting with author Karen McElmurray uh, and her book, uh, Walting Radiance, uh, published by University Press of Kentucky. This is a story of fortune-telling, murder, passion, and love lost and finally found. Crystal Wilkinson, author of The Birds of Opulence, says, This book is brimming with haints and lives full of magic, and Karen McElmurray's storytelling is the most haunting of all. And Josephine Humphreys, author of Nowhere Else on Earth, winner of the Southern Book Award, says, Reading Wanting Radiance is like inhabiting the best country music song you've ever heard. A high, lonesome, heartbroken, wanting and not having sort of song. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, and congratulations on the book and uh, those fine, fine uh, reviews. Yeah, I feel like the the blurbs really got some each of them got a particular thing about the book that I really like. I was real pleased with that. Yeah, I like this. Oh, they, and you do have some some songs uh, and some music in the book, so I like that best country music song you've ever heard kind of Oh, uh, me too. <laughs> I, that was one of my favorite things that anyone mm-hmm. said. In fact, mm-hmm. as I wrote, I actually talked to various musicians and was talking about tuning guitars. I was talking about playing violins and um I just really liked that part of the book, trying to turn some of the stories and some of the scenes into sound. Yeah, and as we're recording uh, remotely here in the summer of uh, 2020 during all this uh, COVID stuff, you're up, wow. in, you're up in Maryland, uh, but you're from um, you're from Kentucky, right? And uh, yes, I am. Um, we were uh, much as my main character, Miracell, you know, is a sort of a nomad and an outsider. I um, I was born in Kansas because my dad was in the Air Force, but I moved back to Kentucky when 
basically I was six months old and lived in eastern Kentucky. And then um, we moved a bunch more. And then I moved back there in my 20s and sort of established that place as my spiritual home. Spiritual in the sort of the deepest heart sense. Well, my college roommate uh, was from Mount Sterling, Kentucky, and still still lives there. That's sort of eastern uh, Kentucky, and uh, you know he's still got his accent. I can I can hear a little bit in your voice there. You know, sometimes I get it. I get it more when I go home, and then um, I'll have it a lot when I least expect it. Let's put it that way. Uh, a little about you, your, your, your upbringing in Eastern Kentucky uh, does inform your work from what I, what I can tell. Very much. I mean, even when I think I'm not writing about the people I'm from, I am. Uh, I wind my way back there, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Now, you pursued the study of writing and now you teach. You've been on uh, several faculties. You did the MFA route. Uh, you've done writers and residents. All of this stuff will be in the show notes. Uh uh, you've had uh, a National Endowment for the Arts uh, to do work on your fiction. Um, talk about moving from, uh, I, I guess you're a writer before you became a teacher, but you're kind of a teacher and a writer now. How does that mix together for you? Well, um, again, I'll fall back on, on, on Miracell being an outsider and a nomad. I've been that in the world of academia and teaching to some extent. I've sort of followed the story. I followed the art. I've followed the art to various positions that have given me time and place and wonderful people with which to write and teach. How does one inform the other? That constantly astonishes me. Uh, Even when I'm teaching a class of introduction to creative writing, and these are completely new writers, they're just beginning and often fearful of the work, I learn something every time. Last semester, I had a young woman who uh, was from Vietnam, and she uh, ended up writing about her ancestors. She ended up writing about the great dislocation and Um, dissolution of her family. And it it was the first time she'd done something like that. So what I learned from her was a lot of courage. And I learned a lot about words blossoming on the page to tell even the most difficult stories. I learned that lesson over and over again. And you talk about Maricel. We're going to be getting into Uh uh, this character in the book, uh, Wanting Radiance, today uh, when we get under the covers in a little bit. But uh, uh, and she's kind of a nomad. She's moving around. You, you, I think you said you've moved around a lot, but uh, yeah. this path you've chosen in life uh, uh, of writer teacher, is it everything you thought it would be? Or um... I don't know. Is anything ever all that we thought it would be? I mean, yeah. I've been asking myself that, that mm-hmm. this week as the news changes every single minute. Right. Um, I think that being a writer and being a teacher and trying my best to teach writing in an authentic way, it's a tiring thing. I mean, it. I have peaks and valleys of that experience. And sometimes I'll be out. I'll just be flat out empty of the words to either write or offer to my students. And um, that sometimes surprises me a good deal, but it also surprises me a good deal that it comes back to me, that Mm -hmm. creativity continually is a source of inspiration and comfort, solace in the world that we're in. So it's all I thought it would be, 
in terms of that and all I thought it would be in terms of the difficulties. And, you know, it's a surprise too. Yeah. And you haven't been just a writer and a teacher. I, I think you shared with me, you've been a landscaper, a cook, a maid and a deckhand. What, what, where, have you, where were you a deckhand? There are not many decks to be uh, handling in Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. um, when I was a graduate student and um, I was living in Athens, Georgia, uh, I was just flat out amazed, like down on the floor amazed. I got uh, that grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. At that time, you know, I was teaching, teaching, teaching. I was working in a bookstore and I took some of that money and took time off, and I went down to St. George Island in Florida and lived by myself. And while I was there, I got a uh, job on a boat. Um, it was called the Governor's Stone, and that was the tourist boat. So I had that experience, but I love the ocean. I love the mountains, but the ocean, those two things are deeply part of me. I was also a deckhand. Uh, this is quite a few years ago. I spent two years with a former boyfriend. That's another story. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, you don't want that story, do you? Right. I was traveled around the world. And part of that traveling, uh, we were in Australia. And uh, we were, of course, we, we worked as we went, making money as we went. And one of the jobs I took was working on a shrimp boat. And what you had to do there was clear the nets, the shrimp, uh, and do that all day long. And I sort of was the deckhand, keeping things tidy, cooking cleaning the like. So those two experiences were deckhand. Yeah, sounds like we've got some stories to be written about those experiences at some point, uh, if they hadn't already been written. Uh, (laughs) I just wish, even as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking, do I have the right words for net? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, I knew the work, but do I know the language of the ship? Uh, Probably not. So this won't be a podcast about shrimping. We're going to clear those nets and move on to something else. But before we get under the covers here, let's look at the book cover itself for uh, Wanting Radiance. Uh, you've got a striking uh, color red. I like red. Oh, uh, I've got the uh, book. I'll just show yeah, it here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. They can't see uh-huh. it, but, uh, you know, you can uh, – they're going to see it in the show notes. But uh, you got to – let's talk about the image on the cover because um, and it kind of speaks a little bit, I think, to what uh, – what this character is doing in the book, but uh, we've got a hand on the cover, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was just, the first thing I felt when uh, University Press of Kentucky sent me the image and their designer had read the book and really spent some time thinking and, and deciding what best represented the book. I, I opened this and I thought, whoa, it was, the, I, I had imagined a black and white photograph. I had imagined a highway and dogs running alongside a car. And then there's this and it, and I sat with it and I thought, this is exactly right. I mean, the color red, as you said, red is from the heart. Red is from, I, in classes I teach Heartwood, the deepest part of the work. Red is this book, Heartwood, the deepest part of the journey, the hands you know, the hands are Miracell's journey on the road and taking her own life into her own two hands. And then the, the palm of the hand, as you see mm-hmm. these lines, it, that's yeah. a map, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and so we're going to, you know, a little foreshadowing here because we're back mm-hmm. to the covers. Miracell's a fortune teller. And I, when I first looked at this, I thought maybe uh, it was for a palm reader, but she was working mostly with cards. But there are the, the lines here that, you know, that a palmist might use to read someone's uh, future, fortune, yes. whatever. 
Mirasol's mother did read palms sometimes. So that's in there for sure. You know, I know. Okay. Are right, you ready to get under the covers? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes. It's a little, little, a little uh, hot in this room, but covers okay. will be good. <laughs> <laughs> I get Hey, listeners, we'll be getting under the covers in just a moment. Uh, but first, I want to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, Carrie Knowles. She is the 2014 North Carolina Piedmont Laureate for short fiction. Her latest novel published by Al Canyon Press is The Inevitable Past. I had the honor of being an advanced reader for that book and uh, offered this review. Carrie Knowles' writing has a dreamlike quality as it carries us on a journey from cradle to grave and back again. The Inevitable Past reminds us that the outcasts and most marginalized among us deserve to be remembered. Find out more about Carrie and how to get her book, The Inevitable Past, at cjanework.com. That's C-J-A-N-E-W-R-K.com. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O.fm. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word. You may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte Reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, so we're here under the covers uh, with uh, Karen McElmurray and her book, uh, Wanting Radiance. And uh, Karen, just to start out a little bit, this uh, this book is literary fiction, sort of Southern Gothic, and uh, you've got an inciting incident. You know, every book's got to have a good inciting incident to pull mm-hmm. you in. And in your inciting incident, we have a murder, and a young girl is left alone without her mother. Um, tell us about this inciting incident and how that launches, you know, one of your characters on a journey. <sighs> Well, the inciting incident being a murder, that evolved over time. But really, there is, I'm a storyteller. My dad was a storyteller. So you got to put up with me telling you a little bit of a story. I lived near Asheville in a Weaverville, and then outside of Weaverville, I was out in the country. And uh, the boyfriend that I traveled with and I had broken up. And so I'm seeking all the ways I can to bring him back to me. And one of the ways I sought was to go to a fortune teller. And this fortune teller lived in this trailer just um, out off of Phoenix Cove Road. And I go up to the trailer, I knock and this voice says, come in. And I go in and there's nobody there and you have to go back into the bedroom. And this woman, she was in this giant bed with a big velvet headboard. She had uh, must she must have weighed 300, 400 pounds. She was enormous and she was in the bed because she had been shot by her lover. And which is not, you know, a very doesn't afford, uh, portend very well if you're going to have your fortune told. But that event of, you know, this fortune teller being shot. It's, you know, that that story, that's what really the inciting event. And it yeah. twisted and turned and became all kinds of different things until that became the event in this book. This girl remembering her mother being shot. And, of course, that mother's nothing like that fortune teller. Well, it, it says something, I think, Karen, about your personality that you would continue to persist at that point to have your palm read by someone who's in bed oh oh, she didn't read oh i know (laughs) at that point i was like the writer i'm thinking well this is really interesting she did not read palms however she read photographs she read the shadows and photographs okay Did, 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 did any of her predictions come true for you (laughs) 
many of the predictions were really very sad. She looks at the photograph of the, the boyfriend and she says, there's something you don't know. And I said, well, I allow that's true. <laughs> so, no, not really. Sounds like I could be a fortune teller then with that kind of uh, vagueness. Well, but, if uh, we could work together if you yeah, like. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's talk about, so we have this, uh, you know, Maricel um, is the, the young girl who, uh, in the opening scene, her mother is shot. Her mother is Ruby. Tell us a little bit about the mother Ruby loving, because you wrote this book in a way that, um, we've got flashbacks, you know, we, uh, you're, you're in, you're in the inciting incident and then you go to Maricel loving and she's in her thirties or something. And she's kind of bouncing around and then you go back and you have a little bit of Ruby and then you come back to Maricel and you're back to Ruby. So they're both central characters in the book. Tell us about Ruby. Well, Ruby, as I say, originally, in I, there have been probably 10 or 12 drafts of this book in, in its uh, creation over the past years. Originally, she was the woman in, uh, I described on Phoenix Cog Road. And then the more I wrote, for a while, she was, speaking of Southern Gothic, she was a woman with uh, <clears throat> an abnormally long fingers whose fingers uh, played the air. That wasn't her either. Finally, the more I wrote, she became a woman who was damaged by uh, love and the lack of love. And that's who Ruby became. And she imparted that lack of love, lack of ability to love to her daughter. So that, that became Ruby. More the woman than the woman in the trailer I'd met. Yeah, and Maricel, um, although she has this shocking event, uh, you're going to have a reading here in a little bit mm-hmm. uh, about uh, her situation. Um, and, but she takes up fortune telling too. Does she does she believe in it? Uh, does she not believe in it? Uh, what does she oh. believe? What does she believe in? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, that's part of the journey of the book. When we yeah. first meet Miracel, she's yeah. sort of a huckster. You know, she doesn't really believe in very much. She grew up sort of living on the road with her mother, who told fortunes, and she learned it well enough. She learned it well enough to use it. She learned it well enough to do gigs and make enough money to get by. Did she believe in it? No. Did she believe in much? Probably not. So it's a journey about a woman coming toward what she believes. Yeah, and this might be a good time just to drop oh. our re- reading in because uh, we've got okay. uh, early in the book, we've had the inciting incident, the, the murder, but then we start with a chapter that's, uh, I like I like the, the chapter headings you use, you spirits and the two-step at Dill's Five and Dime. So what's Dill's Five and Dime? In one of my many incarnations, I love to go to, I did love to go to bars and hear music. Yeah. You know, um, that's, it's a bar of the imagination. All right. So let's, let's hear a little bit uh, here from this uh, chapter. I'd like to say things were easy after my mother died, that whoever shot her was found and that I became a good woman with a nice yard, one where I danced to jig in Ruby's memory every summer. The truth is, whoever shot Ruby disappeared like a ghost before sunrise, and I never could get my own story straight. Twenty years passed. Towns and roads and faces passed, and I spent way too many nights sipping lemonade and vodka, whatever bar was handy. Tonight it was Dills, a country punk fusion in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee. The crowd was small for happy hour, but it was a Thursday. 
Some business suit guy was winding a skinny tie around an index finger, pointing at a kid with fishnets and a pleather skirt. The place had promise, but the truth is I was tired before the night even started. I was thinking about the room I'd rented at the Red Sorry, whether I'd asked for pillows that were non-allergenic. I hadn't much thought about my mother in years. A woman in a sweatshirt with a kitten on the front sat by herself at the end of the bar, blonde-headed with hair she'd cut herself none too well, spotty makeup and take-care-of-me eyes as she watched me shuffle my cards. There were lots of women like her out there, ones with windows open to springtime, them listening to night sounds, afraid but still wanting love and not sure how to get it. I was there to tell them love was a possibility. I'd pick a table for myself and lay out my business cards and my sign, Miracell Loving, Fortune Teller Extraordinaire. I'd nod after I traced a lifeline on some palm over coffee or a quick beer. I said yes and yes while they went on about wedding rings lost in the weeds, husbands bad as the day they'd married them. Ordinary cards were 20 bucks. Tarot was 30. For 50, I'd hold hands with them and wait until one or the other of us said they felt vibes. What should it feel like, some mascarid woman would ask, and I'd tell her to keep her mouth shut. Sweet pea, I'd say, it's all about touch. I'd hold on tight to her hands or the tabletop, whichever came first, and she'd later tell me it felt like a cross between an electric fence and revelation, and I'd say, okay. Telling fortunes had rung a little hollow the last couple of years. For one thing, right over in the corner of Dill's was one of those quarter-for-a-swami vending machines with a lot more customers than I had tonight. I would have been better off with a nice night job, telemarketing cemetery plots or sex, but I liked the mystique. Woman alone, traveling the roads, here, back, yonder. No kids. Too many boys from before and now not enough of them. Always looking for another night of drinking and more palms to read and other people's secrets to unfold. But boy, howdy, me and my shit-kicker boots had sashayed myself around dance floors aplenty, and I was beginning to look like I felt, rode hard and hung up wet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You like that line. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, I mean, it just gives you a feeling for this character right away. She's telling palms, but she's really out there partying and moving around. But then, you you know, you talk about this book, um, Karen, Mm -hmm. and others have too, sort of an intersection between magic and memory and love. And how did you, there, there are a lot of books out there about, you know, love and there are books out there about, you know, reflections and memory, but you've, you've inserted the magic in here and you've tied them all together. And you sometimes wonder in the book, what's real and what's not. Right? <laughs> well, I yeah. wonder that in my life often, yeah. don't you? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so um, to talk about how you decided to use magic to help tell this story. Well, to be honest, you know, you, you talked about growing up in eastern Kentucky. Magic was a very real possibility in my childhood. My granny on my mother's side, especially, uh, <clears throat> every morning, you know, when you'd stay there, she'd come in where you're sleeping and she'd say, morning this morning, fine morning this morning. And then you would, she would tell a dream. And I grew more and more interested in the world of dreams and magic and superstition. Some of the rules and of magic were ones that were very hard to live with, rules for a woman's body, rules for faith. 
but some of them were about the really intersections of um, ghosts and people. My granny, you know, when I was, was growing up, called ghost haints, something that was neither here nor there. I mean, yeah. I grew up at magic wasn't necessarily magic. Mag- magic was what you did and what you were. Mm. And, you know, not to mention that I, my writing sometimes was a reflection of my past and growing up, especially the women in my past. There were the stories were dang hard. They were dark stories mm. about survival. And my own life has been that way in many ways. And what better place for magic to transform those shadows and that darkness into something else that's possible. So. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's do a little writing life. We know that Maricel, she's searching uh, yes. for, her, for her past in this book. Uh, were you, um, do you ever find yourself searching for answers when you write? Oh, as Miracell said a few minutes ago, boy, howdy. <laughs> I mean, I write, I've written these novels, but I'm also very much a writer of creative nonfiction. I have a memoir called Surrendered Child, and I very much write about personal experience, and I very much write about searching for, um, s- searching for what my own life means what the lives of others mean. It, it drives my husband nuts. You know, my best friends in Kentucky call me a seeker, you know, and I've always been that. So, yeah, I am that way without question. Well, there's sometimes a debate about whether the capital T truth is found better in uh, nonfiction or fiction. For you, have you found uh, uh, the truth uh, more in one or the other or both? I- my belief has been, and I've often <clears throat> teach this way, I think that nonfiction has been the place where I go to understand memory. And my wish has been that I take some of the truths I derive in that form of writing back to the page of fiction. Mm. Sometimes I think the word genre, you know, it, it, we're in a world where gender is a fluid truth. And I think genre can be a fluid truth. So one in one genre influences the other. Did you always want to be a writer? I can, I guess I'm hedging on that question. But, I mean, I could remember being nine years old and writing really, really bad poems. Yeah, yeah. And by the time I was 12, my uh, I'd live, I'd stay with my granny in the summers and I'd go across the road. A uh, woman who's now still my oldest best friend played a 12 string guitar and I wanted to be her and I wanted to write the poems she wrote. So I've been writing as far back as, as 12, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And what environment do you write best in? Well, you see it right here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) this is my study. Study with books and everything. So you write your, you, you, a creature of habit, you write there. That's where we find your muse in that little spot right there. More and more. Yes. I come in here. I, you see the door shut. I have animals out there and they're probably standing outside at the moment. (laughs) I close the door and I have this space of quiet and peace. I really need that. Yeah. I've got an animal at my feet right now. Good old Gus. He's uh, one of my, what is he? He's a rescue part this and part that. uh, I I have June (laughs) who's part this part that she looked, she's part Carolina dog. (laughs) Um, You did tell one story of interest to me. Um, Uh Some of your family history kind of, 
there, there's a, a black cat uh, place here that, oh. that Maricel inhabits. And you had a great aunt, uh, I believe whose name was Della Warren. And, and there's a Della in this book, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The aunt was, well, how we would have said it was Deli. Okay. And um, so the black cat is uh, the place that I have her own, which is part diner and part garage. Um, I had an Aunt Deli, and she ran such a place, and she worked on cars. But that it wasn't really the Black Cat Diner. There was a place like that, and my mother worked there as a waitress when she was a teen. So it's a fusion of that. But I, that that real diner and garage, and this woman named Deli who knew how to work on cars, this strong ass woman who you know really strong woman i really um she has become important to me both in essays and fiction yeah and i I got a real sense because you described her to me uh, you would sit around as they gossiped and smoked winston's and you sat underneath the dining room table and watched the feet of the waitresses go by and you just remembered her being a a very powerful woman and I'm, i'm guessing that that probably infuses itself some in this book here uh wanting radiance Oh, very much. I mean, as far back as I can remember, there was that diner, and I was little enough to be under that table. And these voices around me, it was be my aunt, my two aunts, and my mother, and Deli, and my great-grandmother lived in that uh, diner. There was a room, and my great-grandmother and Deli, and they all lived there, some rooms, not a room. So these voices, arguing, telling stories, smoking cigarettes, um, whatever they were doing, voices telling stories, and this strong woman running this place. Mm. So what's writing this book uh, meant to you in your personal journey? You've written a number of books, but uh, uh, everyone's unique in that respect, I suppose. So what's this one meant? This book, and it may be that I'm not there yet, I, ha- I write pretty darkly. I write shadows. Um, someone once called me uh, Shiva, a goddess of darkness in my, <laughs> well, I think maybe that was in the relationship. Or yeah. Was that the writing? I'm not sure. But this book is dark, but I do believe I'm reaching forward to light, to that magic you described. So that's what it's brought me. It's brought me, a, a, you know, the, the journey is you know, something about resolution and light, too. Yeah, I did I did see that as a thread that was sort of running through your books, and I wondered what it was that caused you to want to write about heartache and about uh, sort of the dark side of, of life. Well, in terms of family, um, I'm— I'm from almost like Appalachian ballads when there are murders, where there's heartache. And I'm from a family where there has been more than its share of heartache. Um, most of my family's gone now. I have cousins. My mother and my father passed this year. So it's, it's, a, it's generations passing away like many of us, but those generations carried burdens of loss and despair. And I inherited that, you know, I inherited um, my mother. I'll, I'll be frank here. My mother suffered from some mental illness. And so I grew up in that shadow, wondering what it was I had taken on in my own two hands. And, um, you know, there's that inheritance. And then there's my desire to tell it and to understand it. 
Yeah, okay. Well, so this has sort of been a tune-up. You're getting your headgear on with your mic because you're going to be teaching remotely here shortly. So I was going to ask you uh, what, <laughs> what, what, what's next. You're going to be writing some more, I suppose, and you're going to be teaching some more. Is that what's on the horizon for you? I am just finishing a a small essay collection. It's called Voice Lessons, and it's going to come out from a press called Iris, and that's there in um, Knoxville. I'm going to, um, I think about, <laughs> I, I hesitate to even say it, I think about another novel. Okay. <laughs> so, and, I, and I have probably another essay collection almost done. So. Right. Well, Karen, look, this has been a, it's a fascinating book. I enjoyed getting into the magic. The, Thank uh, you so the, much for the, reading it. The fortune telling and all that good stuff. And uh, there's there are some twists at the end here. So uh, readers, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, Karen, thanks so much for uh, being a part of uh, Charlotte Readers Podcast. Thank you very much. And you say safe and well. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved.